So I've, I've always gone by confidence in I know what I'm doing. And so that stops me from feeling an imposter. Mm. So because I'm curious, because I'll read faculty research, I'll read practitioner articles, I'll read, you know, I just, I love to learn all of these types of perspectives that come in. You immerse yourself in it. Yeah. You immerse yeah. yourself in it. You don't then feel like you're an imposter because you're part of it. So yes, I'm leading it in the visions there and I know exactly where I want to go in two years and I've articulated to the team and the ed techs are on board and so on and so forth. I feel like I'm still part of it rather than an imposter because yeah. actually I know exactly where I'm going and I know exactly how we get there. And that has been a real strength actually. So rather than feeling, I mean, we all feel anxious. So I won't say that I won't feel anxious at times. I'll take a deep breath at times. I try to make sure that I, I call it scaffolding. So there's an element of success that's set up around a situation that you should land it, if you see what I mean. So everything Ooh. I'm doing now, ideally when we get to two years time, has built a strong enough foundation for us to land that part of the strategy. You see what I mean? So that's what stops me from thinking too much of the present because I'm already thinking about the future, which means by the time you get there, you're not really an imposter because you've laid the groundwork for everything yeah. that, that needs to be done. Hello and welcome to the Women of the Future podcast, a podcast made in collaboration with the Women of the Future programme, a platform built to unlock a culture of kindness and collaboration among leaders, as well as support and celebrate the successes of women. I'm Kim Rowell and I won the media category at their awards in 2018, in recognition of my continued work as a commissioner, producer and children's author, particularly within the mental health remit. I'll be talking to my guests on this podcast about their careers, who or what gave them their first big break, their successes, failures and inspirations along the way, and how they came to be a part of the Women of the Future Network. Caroline Williams is Director of Open Executive Education at Side Business School, part of the University of Oxford. She is responsible for the vision and success of their Open Executive Education, or OEE, portfolio. Under Caroline's leadership, OEE is ranked second in the world for quality of executive education by the Financial Times, earning first place in the UK for six consecutive years. Caroline's career has taken her from developing and managing large-scale media campaigns to running the research team for a major think tank. Committed to supporting diversity and inclusion initiatives, Caroline is part of a global network of thought leaders, creating opportunities for women from all sectors to experience high-quality executive education. Side Business School is the proud sponsor of the Women of the Future programme. Please note that this podcast was recorded in March 2022. So I, I grew up in um, North Kent and I was a sort of child of a single parent, working class family, went to school in North Kent. We were children of working class families and middle class families, so we were interspersed as it were. And I think that's where I learned the art of the possible. So I think when you don't have very much, if your family can't afford very much, it's really interesting to hear what other children's families have been able to do with them. Mm. And so it helps you imagine what you can do as you sort of get older. And that's where I started my little to-do list, I think I would say. Oh, <laughs> so really? Began, well, yeah. A life to-do list? Or? Life to-do list at very, very young age. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. 
what was on it what kind of things did you have on it I suppose it probably evolved from you know the age of three onwards or whenever you started it was exactly that so it was very much around um you know where people travel to to the sort of experience they sort of went to the theatre and all those kind of things which really inspired me to think about what I could do and it was never I was never somebody to be jealous but I always was really interested to hear what people were doing in order to think about what life might be like and what life could be like you know as you sort of go older. It's interesting and we'll come on to the roles of mentors later on but you can't be what you can't see and like you say you were taking inspiration from the people around you so they were inspiring you almost organically it sounds like. They were I think one of the things that I guess I took from this was my identity at school was very much about acting and singing So I was one of those children that you'd see at the school play every year, standing on stage, singing a song and sort of telling a story. What I really loved was the the storytelling piece of that. And I was very inspired by listening to stories. And there I was on stage as part of this really powerful story being told. And what I loved about that was it didn't matter where you were from or who you were in the audience, you were connected Mm. right there and then to the people on stage and those people with you. And it was just, again, a really nice way of knowing that you could inspire people, but also being inspired by the story you were telling. Yeah, and and finding the affinity. Exactly that. And I think I learned that I could do that at a very early age when I was in primary school. And a teacher had said to me, I want you to be in this assembly. I want you to be a funny character. And I'd never done this before in my life. But I stood up there and I had such fun doing it. And I couldn't believe how connected I was to everyone. I just feel like it was a leveller. And that's where I think I really like, you know, some of the things I think when I think back, the ways in which I've learned mechanisms that become levelers for how you're connecting with people and the information you're giving people in a way through the medium that you're choosing. So that's, I think, how I'm inspired and I think how how others have inspired me. And what were you like as a student? You diligent, hardworking? My, my school report said conscientious, but okay. I, was, I was also a bit naughty. So um, <laughs> we had some, I think what school was for me was I really enjoyed, I really enjoyed the lessons. I love maths. I love science. I love languages. But I was also there with, you know, the children around me learning with them what life was like. So we always sort of pushed the boat a little bit too far sometimes, mm. or we were able to, <laughs> we're able to get away with certain things that you kind of, you sort of think back now and think, goodness me. But the nice thing about school was you got the opportunity to really try things out like English communication. I loved it. So again, going back to connecting with people, we had a very flamboyant teacher And he enabled us to be very creative. So the great thing about this kind of lesson was that you could develop these magazines that you would then want to share with people, you know, kind of of your age and tell them stories and things. And so I think I was conscientious, but I did have to kind of alleviate sometimes bursts of energy by being a bit cheeky. But, you know, (laughs) it was was cheeky, which I think they liked, thank goodness. (laughs) And I always say... Or I like to think that every day is a school day. But looking yeah. at your CV and the things that you've done in your career, you have been on a continual learning journey, really, which isn't necessarily unusual. But I was curious to understand why you've done that and why you feel that you I mean you've done quite a few obviously open university and then mm-hmm. you've studied at your own business school and things mm-hmm. like that like mm-hmm. was it a really key part of your own vocational progression do you think to yeah. keep learning as you were moving forwards yes 100 so I think I'm a curious person and I think that you can always learn from any situation so 
not only was it school and every university, but I also went to places like a kibbutz. I didn't really have a great deal of cash, but actually I went to Golders Green, interviewed, you know, they accepted me into their community. And I was then on a plane to Israel and there I was in a kibbutz, you know, and I was learning about their way of living. But also I was learning about all the cultures that were there with me. It's a wonderful place to bring people all over the world together. Mm. And that kind of blew my mind. So not only was I thinking about the learning of this kibbutz, but I was also learning about all these different cultures that were there. And for me, coming back and then I, I sometimes have stretch points. I don't know whether you experience these, but these are stretch points in yourself where you think I've got to do more. I have to do more. So with my university, I was um, I came back from traveling. I interviewed in my one pair of Dr. Martins and this strange dress that I had from my rucksack and I got the job, which was amazing. And I've been there about four or five years. And I, I sort of said to my boss, I think my brain is starting to wobble and slide out of my ears. What do I do? <laughs> and he was great, actually. He said, look, go and have a look at something to study. And I thought, well, that's a good idea. And I remember looking at things that I could study. And I, I went to him and I said, there's this course here. looks really interesting in strategy. And he said, it does look interesting, but I think the whole thing looks better. And I, at that time, I was thinking, what do you mean the whole thing? Because, again, I wasn't I didn't really get a chance to go through a more academic, formal trajectory. Mm. And he said to me, well, it's an MBA. And I thought, wow. When I looked at it, I thought, this is quite big. But his one spark of belief in me made me think I can do it. And so the art of the possible and being able to do it because someone feels you can do it has always been a big influence. And then you get continuously curious so then you want to understand, well, how do I connect with people better? So you think about negotiation, you know, am I in touch with my environment as I'm leading, you know, and then you go into sort of strategic leadership program, things like that. And being able to access that, I've been very fortunate, particularly in the environment I'm in, to be able to talk to both our faculty, but also go on some of the programs that they've designed. So I think that's just curiosity that's kept me going. It's interesting to hear you talk about the endorsement that you just needed someone to nudge you almost in the right direction and say, yeah, you can do this. Yeah. Off you yeah. go. Yeah. It's really important, isn't it? And I've paid that forwards, I think, because of everyone I meet, everyone I'm leading, anyone that I'm sort of mentoring, anything like that. Mm. It's very important to me that they feel that they can reach their true ability. So where we are now in the um, world that I'm in at the moment, I'm lucky enough to create we have three values that we talk about. So we have achieve, which is, that's just something we all know we've got to do. We have to get out of bed. We've got targets, we've got things we have to do, mm -hmm. um, but they might not spring us out of bed in the morning. But then we have another value called pioneer. And that's a really exciting one. That's where you put your lab coat on and that you can experiment and you can try new things. And that's where the world becomes really exciting because you're out there and you're being very creative. And I always say to everyone, the third one is nurture. I want the best from you at work, but I also want you to have the best of you at home. So the reserves that you have, I don't want you to give them all at work. I want you to be able to be as happy as you are at home as you are at work. And I've always tried to make sure that people can get the best out of themselves and that they have the ability to learn, even if that session's with them and I'm personally holding them or I'm bringing people in to do bite-sized sessions. Ideally, I feel it's just good strategic practice to be able to keep thinking and developing new perspectives. Even to have those mantras, uh, achieve, pioneer, nurture, that's a fantastic starting point for anything. Like you should almost print it out. I might print it out, put it on the wall. <laughs> but like that in itself, that's just enabling, isn't it? And it almost yeah. invokes positivity, just having yeah. those three points to reflect it onto. That's what I'm hoping, because I think life's hard enough, right? So I think Ooh. if we can find ways in which we can alleviate some of that, just 
the challenges we have every day, we all have them. They've got very bad over the pandemic. So mm. how do you keep people moving through this? And also out of the pandemic, or hopefully at some point when we're getting some more normalised conditions around us as we mm. see normal. Again, how do we keep inspired? How do we keep motivated? And how do we keep enjoying what we do? I think is my big commitment, really. And your own career has taken you quite widely and quite a broad spectrum but developing and managing large-scale media campaigns and running the research team for a major think tank to the role that you do now but I wanted to know is there a standout moment or maybe even a person in particular that you would say has helped mold your interests and set you off or even just encouraged you to stay on this particular career path? Well, that's a great question, Kim. Well, there are certainly three people that come to mind. The first one, definitely, I would say, is Nikki Moffat. So Nikki was the highest ranking woman in the British Army up until about 2012. And my gosh, she taught me so much with regards to technical leadership. And I'm very grateful to her, actually, for all the time she spent with me on that. Uh, Another woman who I love speaking with is Amanda Ellis. Amanda was the former New Zealand head of mission to the United Nations. And she really taught me about collaborative strategy, I would say. And then thirdly, actually, a gentleman called Stefan Bogner, who uh, we sort of uh, connect from time to time. But Stefan was the former CEO for the Jolie Pitt Foundation. He's actually become a good friend because we first really started talking when I'd launched the Women Transforming Leadership Programme for the business school. And he rang me, really interested in the content of that programme. At that time, he was working with Indigenous uh, leaders in communities across Southeast Asia, particularly female leaders. And we spent time working out what we could do and how we could work together. And ever since then, we sort of um, stayed in touch. So so I would say certainly those three wonderful people um, have really inspired me to to think deeply about the work I do, the work we do, and the sort of impact it can have. And leading the executive education's the diversity and inclusion vision and that's all part and parcel of what you do isn't it and it's educative not just for women either it's for people from all walks of life who have an investment and want to create impact in this area and how do you even go about designing I'm sure you have a phenomenal team behind you too but where do you where's the starting point for creating courses in this guise and making sure that it's well-rounded and you've covered all your bases and Mm -hmm. I'm sure it's evolving too and that you have to consider different things a global pandemic for instance but how do you go about designing something like that? So I think the game changed when we brought in online programs so we have a very thoughtful way of designing our on-campus programs so that involves faculty who are leading from an IP perspective Mm. and that's really thinking about how does that kind of where are you starting with you creating awareness of a subject are you creating conceptualization of a subject or are you mastering a subject and that's a really a wise man once sort of categorized things like that for me which really made me understand a little bit more about what we're trying to do and how much effort we need to put into it. So one of the things that we do is really start to think about if it's an on-campus programme, how do we bring people from a number of cultures together so that they can actually learn from each other? So the learning, again, 50% of the learning is all the experience in the room and actually how do our faculty bring that out 
through the lens of the expertise and the research that they're bringing into that room. And that conversation can go anywhere. What we don't have are prescriptive conversations in the sessions. The faculty are very confident and they're able to take that conversation to where it's most valued by the participant groups. That's hugely important. When online came in and Peter Stefano and I were sitting in his office in 2017 and we said, we've got to do this, although I'd stalked schools years before then to work out who was doing what it still didn't feel like I could deliver on the promise that I was making on campus which was that huge contribution that could be made by anyone in the room but also the level of contact they had with their faculty mm. so at that time I felt like I couldn't deliver on those two things however Peter and I met with a founder of an edtech based in South Africa and a, a wonderful sort of pioneer of executive education um, with him as well and we discovered during that conversation that they had exactly the type of program experience that I've been searching for that felt true to our participants so going on to the online area meant that we could then start to think about scaling out the access to the conversations that were happening think about the way in which people can be brought into the program so we were able to look at price points that were much lower than we were working with on campus my mission is still to work with foundations to be able to bring people who are at the forefront of some of the really most difficult challenges of this world, which are you know, human trafficking, wildlife trafficking, domestic slavery. We must try to understand how we can connect those practitioners into the types of education that we're offering at yeah. scale. So whilst we can offer scholarships and we can work with foundations on a small level, really, how do we bring them into the the world that we're in at the moment in a scaled up way I'm not finished yet basically that's something that we have to do but for the inclusive part I'm on a central committee within the university and we talk a lot about accessibility mm. of our content you know the way that people learn the opportunities people have to engage and how they might engage and the inclusive technologies that must be available for them because as the world moves on and we move through online more and more immersive experiences are going to be constructed. Therefore, we must make sure that everybody has an opportunity to be part of these experiences. So that, that's sort of the way in which we start to think about how we design and where we're thinking already moving forwards. As the director of this and a woman as a figurehead, I really wanted to ask if you ever get a sense, they call it imposter syndrome, I don't really want to call that, but the, the scale of it for you is it's enormous. Do you ever feel a sense of like, oh my goodness, someone's going to call me out or I'm not going to know what they're talking about? Do you, have, do you still have that or do you, have you learned how to compartmentalise those kinds of feelings? So I've, I've always gone by confidence in I know what I'm doing. And so that stops me from feeling an imposter. So because I'm curious, because I'll read faculty research, I'll read practitioner articles, I'll read, you know, I just, I love to learn all of these types of perspectives that come in. Immerse yourself in it. Yeah. You immerse yeah. yourself in it. You don't then feel like you're an imposter because you're part of it. So yes, I'm leading it in the visions there and I know exactly where I want to go in two years and I've articulated to the team and the ed techs are on board and so on and so forth. I feel like I'm still part of it rather than an imposter because yeah. actually I know exactly where I'm going and I know exactly how we get there 
And that has been a real strength, actually. So rather than feeling, we all feel anxious. So I won't say that I won't feel anxious at times. I'll take a deep breath at times. I try to make sure that I I call it scaffolding. So there's an element of success that's set up around a situation that you should land it, if you see what I mean. So everything I'm doing now, ideally when we get to two years time, has built a strong enough foundation for us to land that part of the strategy. You see what I mean? So that's what stops me from thinking too much of the present because I'm already thinking about the future, which means by the time you get there, you're not really an imposter because you've laid the groundwork for everything yeah. that, that needs to be done. I love that scaffolding. That's a great analogy. I really like that. I know you've already spoken about your great professional pride, but I was wondering also about your, you must have huge personal pride too like you were saying the little girl growing up in Kent in a single parent family is there anything across all you've done you have huge personal pride for too yes I do actually there are two moments to share with you really one is a few years ago I had a total abdominal hysterectomy and before I had it I couldn't really find information in one place to help me sort of think about the entire operation and recovery process I kind of needed a pop-up friend to sort of sit there with a cup of tea and guide me through it so I decided to write a book and I just wanted to write a light-hearted version of what the recovery process was like what you're like to expect and what you're about to go through just to give people a bit of a reference guide as to what they might want to do before the operation but how it's really going to be afterwards and it was really nice to do and I was able to cover a lot of things that I wanted to ask questions on so after I'd done it I put it on a forum a few forums and what was lovely about it was that people were genuinely saying it was really helpful to them and it was really useful to them and it had made them smile which was great the second was also a story so I have a wonderful eight-year-old in my life and when he was five he was losing his baby teeth and I couldn't really find a story that fired up his imagination with regards to what this was all about so you know what world is this that tooth fairies live in who are the villains who are the good guys and so I wrote a story for him and he laughed all the way through it so I thought what I'd do is I'd publish it so we published it and worked with a wonderful designer in uh, Denmark to illustrate it. And uh, what happened there was I was contacted by families who had read it, who had really enjoyed it, which was great. That made me feel really proud. But also that the little ones that were going through the story with them started to brush their teeth very regularly. So that has made me feel really proud and really nice to be able to make people smile through two very different circumstances. Wow, thank you so much for sharing something so personal. What a remarkable woman you are. And the Business School is a sponsor for the Asian Women of Achievement Awards. Yeah. But how did you first hear about the Women of the Future programme and its initiative? And how have you been involved? So just over 10 years ago now, I colluded with a woman in New York who had a a professional women's company there and an EMBA alum who's now co-founded a actually a business with Paul Coleman. And we decided we were going to bring a women's event into the school, which had never been done before. Suddenly, a few weeks later, 300 women were crammed into the Nelson Mandela Theatre of the school. <laughs> and I pushed Peter Stefano out kind of to, to welcome everyone. <laughs> He'd never seen that many women in a, in a room before, but he was great as always. But I was part of that day. I was interviewing Pinky 
basically as a, a panel discussion and I was so taken by how gracious how warm how committed how passionate she was I thought I've got to see her again you know you do yeah. that you kind of think, I need to see this person again and so I met with Pinky just a few weeks later we found ourselves in a cafe underneath a sort of railway bridge we were eating cold soup at the time <laughs> and she had shared with me how much she'd done really with the Asian Women of the Future she was sharing with me her plans to move it forward and also her vision for the Women of the Future and I was just as everyone is always with Pinky I was just hooked <laughs> I was thinking right how can we help so we became academic partners for her for the Asian Women of the Future and then eventually the Women of the Future as well mm-hmm. and the commitment I've made with Pinky is you know on us we bring women in from her network to come and immerse themselves within a day of development because sometimes I think as women we forget ourselves sometimes we we kind of we're so busy and this can be men and women but we're in positions where we're taking care of so many people we almost forget the fact that we also need to have some development ourselves and so I want to make sure that we've cranked open that opportunity for women to come in and to be able to immerse themselves in that day and to be standing alongside I think it's about 40 corporates now that work with Pinky to push this agenda forwards and also to have created opportunities for about 2,000, I think, 250 people around the world. These women that are stand out. I mean, everyone stand out, but these women are elevated up, you know, from community to science to medicine to professional, which is just extraordinary. So to be able to see that Pink has unlocked all of those opportunities for everyone to come together and do something together, it's been a real inspiration of why we're still there. And every year I'm saying, Pinky, what, what's next? And because yeah. at the school, we're very, very engaged in the ESG agenda. The next thing that Pinky is doing on her arising is identifying the 50 rising leaders, you know, in ESG. So we're right behind her. We're kind of like, brilliant, let's go for it. And there are obviously a number of companies there very much with her and headline sponsors and we just want to push that agenda further and so that's really why I would say we we became involved that way and we're still there right I have some quick fire questions for you just to finish here we go what would you describe as your greatest success um I would say I would say probably both just as recently as I suppose the FT rankings and the development of that online business because the online business we've now had 30,000 people through in about five years which is just and and they're all people seeking to try and do something positive for other people's lives or the sector that they're in which is extraordinary so definitely that and your greatest failure well failure is a funny word to me I usually say there's a theory called not yet basically Mm. so I try not to fail I try just not to do it yet and and when I've spoken (laughs) about the art of the possible what I do find is if I haven't quite got something yet I've got to change the variables around it the time frame or the way I'm doing it so I'm kind of getting out of it really but I don't see too much as a failure I try to keep on the optimistic side yeah (laughs) Um, because there's been lots of things I'm sure you know but actually if I can keep moving forwards and we keep getting there we will we will turn that around type thing a work in progress Work in progress, yeah. The mantra of Women of the Future is kindness and collaboration. What does that mean to you in both your personal and professional life? So I think um, I think it's important actually to push kindness forwards without an agenda. So I have an example that inspired me from when I was very, very young. So when my dad passed away, I was 21. And my soul literally just dropped to the floor at that Mm. point. And my friends and family, you know, my chosen family and friends just pulled it back up and they wouldn't let it go until I got back on my feet. And Mm. I think that's what we do for lots of people around us. 
but what happened the Christmas just after they'd done that there was a, a Christmas card you know envelope landed on the mat and I didn't have anyone so my dad had gone that was it and I'd opened this Christmas card and it was it had a 20 pounds inside and it, it said from Chris Kringle and I thought okay I know the name <laughs> but I don't Sometimes. think I know Chris Kringle exactly. <laughs> now this went on for years and years and years and what that taught me was and that eventually I, I found out it was a mum of one of my friends and she mm. never told me it was her and she'd just done this silently every year and what that told me from a very early point of my life was kindness is something you just do you don't need to claim it you don't need reward for it you don't need anything you just do it and you hope that that gets passed on and collaboration for me is we don't have to compete we don't have to compete so if I'm looking at the business school world we don't need to compete, we need to collaborate. There are some massive changes happening in this planet and we need to be there alongside public and private sector, collaborating to ensure that we overcome what's coming on the horizon. So that's what that means to me, I would say. It's a beautiful story about the Christmas card. I love that. Thank you. Is there anything that scares you? Well, on a, I guess on a deeper sense, it does come back to the planet because I'm nervous that we've done so much to the planet <laughs> you know, there's a trajectory <laughs> yeah, that we yes. need to lasso and pull back right oh, so, so that makes my hairs stand on it and end really when you're hearing about what's happening what we need to do and with any big challenge we need to bite-size it we need to piecemeal it and then get it done but the enormity of the challenge is quite extreme actually when you really sit down and you listen to the facts and the work we have to do um but the art of the possible right i'm in there mm. <laughs> get it done yeah what's left on your to-do list well I think um I think one of the things comes back to the planet actually it's understanding how business schools can play that big part in moving this agenda forwards very quickly because Mm. we're not going to be able to wait until 2050 to be able to get things where they should be it's got to be at least 10 years earlier than that so we have we are a hub of information we're a hub of data we're a hub of expertise alongside those practitioners out there that are having to tackle the big challenges we have and so whether it's strategy whether it's finance whether it's infrastructure we've all got to come together and put our minds into this huge problem and work out how we resolve it you know and that for me is what i must do before i decide to leave the sector or the industry or i want to make sure that actually we have a mechanism in play where there's a very obvious way that we are helping play our part in tackling these huge problems and as I say specifically the planet because if the planet goes nothing else that we're worrying about <laughs> kind of really factors in so that's where I would like to like to go next. Thank you so much it's been really wonderful speaking to you and I thoroughly enjoyed it so hopefully the listeners will too but I really appreciate your time I know you're a very busy lady thank you. It's a real pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Women of the Future podcast. If you enjoyed it, please hit the subscribe button. And while you're there, why not give us a rating and review? You know you want to. For more about the Women of the Future Awards, network and initiative, please visit www.womenofthefuture.co.uk. See you soon.